Hey, today we are honored to have a second appearance from a special guest of ours, Brett Williams, who is a retired U.S. Air Force Major General and is also the co-founder and cyber strategist for IronNet Cybersecurity. And uh, boy, he is chock full of um, just a lot of ideas that he flings at you super fast. The man has a sharp mind. Yeah. And, you know, those ideas come fast, but you can tell it's that mentality, right, of being that that fighter pilot and, and you know, the making decisions uh, and, and just the years of experience. And we touched on at the end and it, like just humility, uh, which was a big thing of our topic earlier um, at our last episode. Uh, it, I, I just... I don't want to ruin it for any, anybody who's listening, but be sure to tune in. You know, we talked a little bit about agile development. So when we talk about, uh, you know, Brett's uh, method of plan, brief, execute, debrief, uh, that's a simpler way, I think, of agile development that's more easier consumed than uh, agile development is to people who are don't come from the software world. Well, being someone who is the former director of operations for U.S. Cyber Command, you can tell that he is someone who has uh, had a lot of structure. And so part of what I love about how he uh, presents his ideas is that they're very framework oriented. And if you stick around to the end of this particular episode, I think he puts together about the most concise definition of leadership that I, I really harmonizes with. Uh, I think our our own uh, you know discussion on that topic, Nick, um, that I've ever heard from I think any guest that we've had on the program. So it's worth sticking around till the end. Yep. Uh, with that, uh, let's let them get on with the show. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Alexandria, Virginia. See, I changed it today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, and we're joined today with uh, retired Major General uh, Brett Williams of the USAF. Thank you for joining us today uh, for your second go-round on LeadDip.exe. Yeah, thanks, Brian and Nick. I appreciate the opportunity to... Uh, uh, to link up with you guys again, I've uh, tried to keep up with the podcasts uh, over time, and uh, and uh, I think you guys are doing commendable work. So I was happy to rejoin <laughs> you. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for the for the commendable uh, <laughs> yeah. performance review there. We'll, we'll we'll check in again next year to see if we hit hit our target goals. I got to tell you, just as a quick aside, um, uh, our company was just out working. Um, uh, we're trying to do some business with the Air Force and they have a thing called the Cyber Proving Ground. And so we go in there for an eight hour long evaluation during the day, blah, blah, blah. We do all that. And then three days later, we get debriefed and um, they said, you guys were rated sufficient. And we're like, <laughs> sufficient? And they said, they said, don't worry, that's the highest possible score you can get. But it's that lab, it's like NASA, you know, if the rocket doesn't blow up, all, all systems are nominal. We were sufficient, but you know, everybody on the team's like sufficient. I've never been sufficient in my life. You know, I must be at least, you know, super duper. Right. But you know, you know it's, it's it, the scale is always relative. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I like, I like that. And I'm sure a bunch of people on your team too, right. Or had only been civilians. So they're probably not yeah. used to the, the ratings like that. huh? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that seems like something the Marine Corps would do too. Right. It's just like, everyone's just sufficient or, or not yeah, yeah, sufficient. Yeah. 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Receiving. So Brett, uh, the general, I think is, you know, Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Brett, you're, you're joining us for a second time, but if anyone is new here and hasn't listened to your previous episode, maybe can you just do a couple minute rundown of, of your background and um, who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, um, I usually start with, uh, um, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the, the Duke sign over my shoulder there. So uh, my wife and I uh, met at Duke and went to Duke and uh, um, we commissioned one day and uh, graduated the next and off we went to the Air Force. Uh, my wife, Marianne, served for 20 years. I was in for 33 years. 
Um, and uh, this year we've been married for 40 years. So, so far we've, we've, we've figured it out. Um, and then uh, during my time in the Air Force, uh, I spent most of my time as an F-15 pilot with uh, a variety of commands that were associated with that. And then uh, the last five years of my career, I finally passed a uh, highly selective screening process to uh, leave the knuckle dragging world of being a fighter pilot and uh, join the cool kids. And I moved over into uh, IT and cybersecurity. And I finished up as the director of operations at United States Cyber Command. Uh, there I was responsible for operations and defense of Department of Defense Networks and for planning uh, appropriate offensive operations. Um, I retired about the same time as my boss, uh, Army General Keith Alexander, who was the um, longest serving director of the NSA, National Security Agency, and the first commander of U.S. Cyber Command. And we co-founded a company called IronNet. And so I've had a variety of jobs in, at IronNet and um, proud to say that we did go public uh, in August. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so here I am. And uh, leadership is certainly one of my passions. And, uh, and you guys know that uh, you may have to cut me off. Um, I'm very good at long answers to short questions, but I'm trying to get better at that. I, I'm, trying to do, I'm trying to do two things. And I'm already failing, but I'm trying to do two things is, is uh, is tell you something you don't know, but don't tell you everything I do know. And the second thing is stop talking before you stop listening. So uh, you guys help me do that and uh, we'll have a much better podcast, right? Hey, I think that's all good. That's a great thing. This isn't, uh, you know, like a news network or, or TV. We don't have to hit, you know, a 90 second segment. Yeah. So I say go for it. That's yeah. right. And congratulations on going public, by the way. That's that's a big accomplishment. I saw, I saw you post that you rang that bell. Um, yeah. has to be a pretty crazy experience too. Yeah, that was, that was super cool. Um, you know, you go up there and, <clears throat> and they treat you so, <laughs> they treat you so good when you go up there, there's a, a reception on the floor of the stock exchange. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of the listeners have done that, but there's a reception that night. Um, you know, uh, we have, you know, some of our investors, we have our founders, you know, our executive team, all that. And then the next morning, you go into this room with these big columns and all this stuff. And, you know, the CEO signed this, this d big dusty book and they show this big video and, you know, you're interspersed into it. And, you know, 270 years ago, these 16 men met on the, I mean, you're just, you're in the bowels of capitalism. Uh, but it was just, <laughs> it was, uh, it was cool. And then, you know, I've got a couple of pictures on LinkedIn that, uh, yeah, once in a lifetime experience, but, uh, yeah, but it was very neat. And I feel, uh, very fortunate to, to be part of it and, uh, to be part of uh, a great company that, um, that, uh, I think is going to do, uh, do great things. We, we definitely have, uh, uh, a, uh, a value proposition that we carried over from Cyber Command, where our mission was to defend the nation in cyberspace. And um, uh, I can tell you on behalf of General Alexander and myself, uh, we still have that altruistic goal. And obviously we want the company to do well, but uh, uh, nobody is more passionate than he is about um, solving some of the challenges we have between uh, public sector, private sector collaboration and, and the fact that, um, you know, it's a failed strategy. Uh, you know, this isn't a cybersecurity talk, but we defend one company at a time and the bad guys work very well together, whether that's the Russian government and the Russian criminals or that's organized criminal groups. Yet we are so scared of exposing some, you know, liability or more proprietary information that we all look at the world in this little stovepipe. And so um, our mission is to, to break that mold and get everybody collaborating and working together to, to defeat the common enemy. So um, so the, the company is doing well and uh, I'm proud to have been a part of it. That's really exciting. And it's it's been uh, a pretty short period of time as well. Uh, you've, uh, you know, joined the cool kids, as you say. I mean, I would have gone the other direction with it and said, you know, <laughs> hey, I would like to, you know, hang hang up the Ethernet cables and, and go fly some fighter jets. <laughs> I know I wouldn't I wouldn't signify us, you know, you as a knuckle dragger. I'm like, wait, yeah, we're the knuckle yeah, draggers yeah. plugging in the cables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I did that for the first 28 years. So, you know, uh, yeah, it can, can move on to something else. So uh, it's all good. Well, it's interesting. You know, we, we had uh, just exchanged some ideas uh, before bringing you back onto the show. And, and you had talked about um, really applying some of the fighter pilot discipline uh, to some of the challenges that you've also faced as a leader uh, in the startup domain. And so uh, PBED, I think, is the, the acronym 
that you had tossed out there. Would you like to kind of walk us through a little bit of that and how you thought it sort of framed some of the context for what you've experienced in the tech startup domain? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to talk about that, Brian. And um, the other thing I'd like to get to as well, and I'm really thinking about that last podcast you guys did, is uh, let's save a little time, too, to talk about um, uh, I call it what leaders are and what leaders do. Mm-hmm. And um, since we last talked, actually, I had a, a pretty interesting, I would, uh, it's an insight, maybe not the level of epiphany, but uh, I really did learn some things, you know, fairly late in my leadership journey that uh, A, highlight you should always be learning, but uh, but B, maybe give some people some things to think about. So let's save a little time for that. But um, yeah, this idea of, uh, of, of PBED is... Um, uh, it's an acronym that stands for for plan, brief, execute, and debrief. And it's not unique to the fighter pilot community. The other uh, community that you see execute this very well is the special operations community. And, um, you know, I think most, well, I hate to use it. Uh, platitudes like that. Um, I will just argue that in my experience uh, that fighter pilots and special operators uh, are generally thought of as as being pretty uh, focused and intent at being the best in the world at what they do. And uh, it is my assessment, not even a belief, it's my assessment that this process of, of discipline, plan, brief, execute, debrief is, is what makes... Um, what makes these cohorts as good as they are at, at what they do. And so as I've been in the private sector, it wasn't even in the private sector, as I moved out of really the fighter pilot community, um, even when I was still a fighter pilot, but as I got more senior and I interact with other parts of the Air Force, uh, then I really see that it is unique how we, what we approach this process. And then once I got in the private sector, is very unique with the, with one exception um, is there's definitely some analogs there to the agile software development process. Um, And so, um, so let me just, let me just step, take a couple of minutes to step through it. And then you guys uh, tell me what you think may be interesting to talk about, but um, the the best way to kind of, I think, put this in context is that, uh, is that, you know, in the fighter pilot business, our training missions, you know, when we're, we're doing pretty intense training, um, typically you're only airborne an hour and 15 minutes. We always did decimal points. You'd fly 1.3. Okay. Um, but to get to that, that, that training flight, um, if you're the flight lead, uh, you would probably spend a full day prior planning that mission. Now that's on top of the two or three years of training you already have, but it's planning that specific mission, right? And you may work, you know, you're typically working that with maybe uh, somebody else in the flight that day. So it's kind of it's kind of the collaborative part of this. But you're planning what you're going to do right in great detail in order to accomplish the mission objectives and and all the things about objective setting and metrics and how do we measure we're successful setting all that up front. So when you get to the debrief, right, you can really evaluate it. Right. That's the same process we want to go through with everything. So there's the planning phase. And then the brief normally took place two hours prior to takeoff. And so uh, that's not the collaborative part. That's, I stand up in the front, time hack, 920, we start the brief, and this is what we're doing. This is the objective today. Nick, you do this, Brian, you do this. Here's how you run your radar. Here's how we're gonna talk on the radio. Here's who's gonna shoot, here's who's not gonna shoot. Here's how we're gonna do all this stuff, right? And now we go out to the airplanes, we get in, we take off and we fly, and we fly the mission, all right? And now we come back. And so now what our objective is, is to, to debrief. And um, this is where a lot of people struggle. And uh, again, if you think about the discussion you guys had on, on the previous show talking about, you know, feedback and assessments and, you know, all that stuff, you know, this, this all sorts of roll in. And so the, the debrief, and it depends on the mission, um, rarely did a debrief last less than two hours. Uh, and I've been in debriefs that lasted eight and nine and 10 hours. That's for a 1.3 hour mission, wow. okay? Wow. And w- what you're doing during that time is, is the first thing you're doing is you are making 100% sure that we all agree on exactly what happened, right? Because if we don't all agree on the facts, right, this happened, right? It's not what I remember. 
what I think, what I believe, right? Because you've got tapes, right? The tapes show, here's what you were doing with the radar. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I got my dog is. is <laughs> oh, it's all good. Out. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to get, get, get somebody to get him here in a second. But, uh, um, but it's the number one thing you've got to do, or the first thing you've got to do is you got to have ground truth on what happened, right? And it, it can't be anybody's freaking opinion of what happened. It's what happened, right? Mm -hmm. And so now you start stepping through that mission, right? And you're recreating where the airplanes went and what the heading was. And you'll take every comm call because the communication is so important that it's clear, it's concise, you've said exactly the right thing, et cetera. You know, we'll stop the tape and play the, what Brian said again. Okay, why'd you say this? Why'd you not say that? Blah, 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 blah. And so the objective of that is to really spend, the way I describe it, 90% of the time talking about the 10% that didn't go great, right? Because these people are already pretty damn good at what they do, right? But if you just settle for, yeah, 90% of that went pretty well. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going, Nick, I appreciate you showing up on time today. It was really good that your flight suit didn't look like crap. And uh, generally, you <laughs> talked on the radio at the right time. You know, we're not going to spend a lot of time telling you you did your job, right? What we're going to do is we're going to spend 90% of the time talking about the 10% that has to go better. Now, we certainly want to reinforce the things that went well, uh, as always, but really what we're focused on is the things that have to get better. And there's some characteristics of that, right? It's got to be one, it's got to be grounded in truth, exactly what happened. It's not opinions, right? It's, it's professional, not personal. Uh, and a, a unique thing with us too, I think, was you know, when I was a one-star general, I commanded the, the Air Force's largest combat wing in Okinawa, Japan, Kadena Air Base. That's where I had that hospital was under me. You mentioned in the last podcast. Yeah, I appreciate yep. the shout I out. I remembered that. I remembered know, that. <laughs> yeah. Fighter pilot responsible for a hospital. There's something that's not going to work out. Um, but, but, but anyway, you know, I still maintained my status as an instructor pilot and a flight lead. And if we went to war with the Chinese, I was going to be leading the first group out. But frequently during the training missions, you know, I may fly as a wingman, a number two or a three or a four. And even though I'm the wing commander and the one-star general, when it comes time to that brief, you know, Brian, the captain, is telling me two, you know, because it's no longer the general, I'm two, right? Two, you're going to go here, da, da, and when it comes to the debrief, it's two did this, two did that, two did, you know. So it's it's all professional. It's, it's all about what do we have to do um, to get better. And so, um, so that's the process. And so that's why, you know, the agile process has some, some parallels, right? Right. You have the, you know, however you do it, maybe you have the big room planning, right. That's being the big planning. And then you're going to have the sprint planning and you're going to decide what we do. And, you know, I saw our company actually, when I was overseeing all of our software developers and data scientists and stuff is when, um, when I really provide the impetus to, for us to start bringing the agile process in and, and, um, you know, it's easy to define or describe the process. It's much harder to actually execute it correctly because it takes discipline. And the part that I found people had the hardest problem with was in that case, the debrief was the retrospective, right? What did we do well? What did we not do well? How do we do this better, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started to see it apply all over the place. Um, like I've worked a lot with our sales team over the last year, a sales call, right? Um, hey, Brett, we want you on the sales call, blah, 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 blah. Okay, because okay. I've given this same spiel to our company. Plan, brief, execute, debrief, right? If we're going to have a sales call, <clears throat> somebody knows who are we talking to? Why are we talking to them? Why are they interested in IronNet? Uh, what do we want at the end of this call, et cetera? And we're going to have a collaborative discussion. And then before the call, I'm going to insist on a 15-minute, okay, who's going to be on the call? And we're going to start with when the Zoom screen comes up, who talks first? Because have you been in these meetings where it comes up and like everybody's kind of, hey, how you doing? You know, da, 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 da. No, somebody's going to talk first, set the tone for what we're going to do. Here's the stuff you're talking about. Here's what I'm talking about, et cetera. Right. We're going to go through the 30 minute call. And then before the call ever started, we're already going to have planned the debrief because otherwise you're going to tell me my schedule's too full and I've got another thing. Right. We've got to get back on and we've got to how was the planning, right? Because same thing with the flight. The first thing you talked about, how was the plan? Because it's back to uh, some of the stuff you see in Agile, root cause analysis, right? It doesn't do any good to fix the symptom. So if my execution was poor, did the briefing lack? 
Or was the planning bad, right? Because if I'm trying to fix execution that suffered because communication in the briefing was bad or because the briefing was perfect, but the plan sucked, right? Then I'm not fixing the right thing. And so the things I, I see people having problems with is, and, and I'll shut up, you guys let me talk about after that what you think is interesting about this, but is people can understand that process. They all head nod, oh yeah, that makes 100% sense, right? But the discipline to execute it is, is not there, right? It was there in the flying business because that's what you did. That's the culture. It's there in the special ops business because that's the culture. That's what you do, right? Nobody questions the fact that you're going to do all of those steps and how they're going to be conducted, right? And that way you know that there's consistency and you're going to constantly be improving. But people do not have the discipline to do that. And then when it comes to the debrief part of it, um, <clears throat> it's... And I saw it when I first, as I got more senior and I'm dealing with other senior officers in other, um, you know, who didn't grow up in the fighter pilot community. There's nothing wrong with them, but I definitely found out I had to do a little bit more of, you know, Brian, you did this really good for us. I appreciate the support you gave us, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But could we maybe do a little bit of this? And then I, I could tell you 20 stories of people afterwards going, God, I can't believe it. All you did was tell me about all the stuff that we didn't do right. I said, no, I, <laughs> I'm going... I bent over backwards to tell this guy all of the things that I thought went well, and all he heard was this. And I've seen the same thing with, uh, I can think of a feedback session I did with a guy, extremely sharp, but you know I do have some EQ, and so I knew talking to him that I was gonna need to really up front, hey, John, these are the things that I thought really went well this last quarter, that, you know, that, and then like two days later, he came back to me and goes, God, that was the most brutal feedback session I ever got. And I'm like, man, that was what I could do. So, so it's, it's, it's the discipline of executing that process the right way. And then it's the ability really in that debrief, hot wash, retrospective, whatever you call it, to A, have it, to B, have it based on fact, not opinion. And then three, uh, to be able to come out of it knowing that you've reinforced the things that need to be reinforced and done, right? Because you may do something, the outcome may be good, but if you can't find the root cause of, I did this, that's why it worked, then you're gonna spin this thing even harder. And when the results don't work, you're gonna go, but I'm doing the same thing, right? So the root cause analysis is just as important for what went well as it is for what didn't go well. And so that's that's the PBED thing. And, and that's my pitch for why I think that we can take this process that people that have figured out to be very elite at what they are, because I would argue, and I haven't been there, but elite software development teams, I'll bet execute that agile process just like that. And that's why they're elite teams. So anyway, I'll shut up and see if any of that strikes any questions or chords or anything. I will agree with you on your last statement is that the elite software teams tend to do that whole process and they do it well, well, and that that's why they're elite software teams, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to touch on a little bit of the fact that you're talking about bringing up just the facts of what happened, not, not your opinion of why something happened. Uh, do you find a struggle with that when you're first like implementing this to, to keep people on track saying, hey, we're just trying to deal with the facts here, not, not your opinion of what you think happened. We need to figure out what actually happened. Yeah, that, that's when I usually bring up um, uh, the, the one saying I did get from the Army that I do think was worthwhile, which was, uh, you bet your soul on what you believe and you bet your ass on what you know, right? And so, um, yeah, it, it'll be either, you know, that's not what I remember, or we'll want to drag up something that happened before or something that isn't necessarily connected to that, or we'll start getting into the personality things. Well, you know, legal never does the right thing for us, you know, or, or you know, those guys over in product management, you know, Fred over there is always, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I want to focus on what we can control, right? Because it doesn't do me any good to focus a lot on what I can't control. So let's focus on what we can control and let's make sure in this debrief, we're talking about what we did and what we didn't do. Now, there's certain things that happen if we come to the conclusion that, there was no way I could control that, then we need to make a note of that and say, okay, well, how do we influence outside of our team in order to not have this problem again? But um, yeah, I think getting people to all, because <laughs> everybody, what you think is based on where you sit. So everybody has a different view of what happened. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and <laughs> I, I love the, uh, the army quote as well. You know, it's, uh, it, it, part of the thing that uh, I, I'm sure resonates with you being a pilot, it's not like driving a car, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you have to check out in advance of ever even getting into the machine. Right. And, um, and, you know, that piece of, of planning, uh, you know, I think it, it's, it's actually the kind of mindset that you need to have going into a lot of different types of work. Um, something that, uh, you know, resonates with me, uh, being a, a scrum master myself and being very familiar with the, the agile process on that planning front end is, you know, reaching agreement before the work ever even gets started on what the scope of the work is. And particularly as you're starting to break this down into sprints, right? The whole idea of having a sprint is to, to break off bite-sized chunks so that you've got an, an iterative process where you're effectively building, right? One, one block right. after another um, to, get, to get moving forward on, on what that product ready, ready deliverable is. So, um, so as you were talking, I, I, I whipped out this. Uh, this is this is my uh, my rally software uh, estimating poker deck. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this 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 thing <laughs> about as uh, as I went through, you know, the process of of becoming a scrum master, and so there's, you know, there's there's some some interesting things. I mean, part of what I like about this is, you know, you've got these uh, these sizing cards yeah. here. And so yeah. as you're going through a discussion, you know, everyone's, everyone's got, uh, you know, they're, they're different cards uh, that they've got in their hands. And, and so as you're talking about work, right, if, if there's something that Nick's going to be responsible for, as we're discussing it, I'll say, oh, yeah, that's a one. I mean, th that won't be very difficult because Nick's doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hang on a second, man. That's an eight. There's a lot of complexity to that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, so our, our process uh, in terms of, you know, how, how we've uh, always assessed that sizing of the work is to get factual, kind of as you're saying, like everyone agrees on the details on the front end, Right. It's uh, it's almost like going out and, and walking your airplane before you fly. You want to make sure that yeah. everything is airtight from the perspective of having agreement on those details on the front end, because because that's where you bet your ass, right? Someone's right. going to be on the hook <laughs> being responsible yeah. for that deliverable. Yeah. Well, two, you know, two things come out of what you just said, Brian, that I think are really important. Is one, you know, w when you do those. Um, you know, those cards, and I forget what that numerical uh, trail is called, but when you do those cards and say, you know, this is a two, this, you know, what you're essentially saying is within the two weeks, I'm going to get this much work done. So very importantly, you are saying up front what my metric is going to be of success, right? And it's not just the amount of work, but it's also the quality of work, right? And so, so you are, you're setting how you're going to measure success up front and everybody knows, you know, what that is. And then the other part is that there's actually another army saying that, you know, it's only a lot of work if I don't have to do it. Right. And so, you know, like you say to Nick, I don't know why this isn't a one Nick, you know, so being able to come to agreement and it, you know, if Nick is your subordinate, then, you know, it's really about, okay, it's a one this time, Nick, but next time I expect it to be a two. And my job as the leader is how do I get Nick to be able to be more and more comfortable that he can perform at a higher, higher level. And so that eventually I really want to get where Nick's throwing out a card that says one and I'm going, hold on a second, Nick, are you sure that's not a two or that's not a four, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think the other component of that is, you know, having an agreement up front about how much like additively, how how much of that sizing can we actually scope for any given sprint? Because right. if, if we're confident that we can only do a sizing of 20 every sprint and our sprints are, say, two weeks long, right? Then that also means up front, there's got to be some trade-offs in the conversation. We, we've got to have some discussions around, you know, okay, these features, we've got three features here that are eights but we've got these two other things that are prerequisites. And if we don't put, you know, and that that's another eight. Yeah. So we're going to be over the, the sizing for what this sprint can actually accommodate unless we pull one of these things back. And maybe, maybe we're undersized for this particular sprint, or maybe there's a different feature that's, you know, just a four 
and it's a minor thing, but we can go ahead and get it in the, the feature ready delivery, you know, for this sprint, because we know it's at least going to keep us capped at that, uh, that sizing limit. Yeah. And so all that's the P and P bed, right? And, and then that way, you know, when you get to the debrief and you didn't get all done, more than like, you know, it, it could be execution, right? It could be execution of that developer. Um, you know, they were lame and lazy that period or, you know, whatever. But it could be back to the planning where we didn't, you know, maybe we didn't account for the prerequisites or maybe we didn't really understand the complexity of the task. And, you know, that's the other thing about this debrief thing is, um, if it's done right, right, it's it's to get lessons learned, right? Where did I have a gap in resource and training and whatever it was? And how do I fix that for next time? It's not to get Nick fired, right? It's to be able to understand, you know, my first thing as a leader should be if Nick didn't perform, there's something I didn't do, right? I either didn't communicate right, he didn't have the right training, he didn't have the right resources, right? Until proven different, I'm gonna figure out what it was that I did. And it's the same thing when we do those flying debriefs. Me as, as flight lead, ultimately it's my responsibility for how that mission went, right? And so if I didn't, if you know, and, and communication, right? It doesn't matter what I said, it matters what you heard. And so understanding all of those dynamics are really important if you're gonna get to the root cause. Incidentally, Nick's probably going to fire me. It's not going to be the other way around. Just, yeah. just so. <laughs> <laughs> You're on thin yeah. ice, Brian. You're on thin ice. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that you brought that up, though, that the uh, the planning, I feel like that is probably, at least in the private sector, is, is one of the most difficult things to get done, right? And you're, you're giving the example of the Zoom call with salespeople, um, j just getting them to sit down and, and plan and think about, okay, well, how is this call going to go? Who's going to say what? Um, who's going to be the active listener? You know, when you're doing a sales call to just take notes about what's going on. I, I, f I find that that's at least just thinking about this, that this is probably the most difficult part of it to implement, you know, outside of like a software team um, or, or like uh, like you were talking about your fighter pilot teams. It, it, do you find that it's difficult when you try to bring it outside of those type of areas to different sales functions or or silos? Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's because especially with salespeople, right? Hey, I've been successful and I didn't follow that process, which I think is the most BS thing to say, because how much more successful could you have been had you followed a more disciplined process, right? It's back to what I said before. I was successful, but I don't know why, right? Or I'm just successful in spite of myself, you know? So look, you know, there's people we're never going to get to really think this way. Um, it's hard to find somebody that and it goes back to a larger issue of, of process. Like how many times have you heard people talk, oh, process that just slows us down. Well, actually process is yep. what makes us faster, right? Because if we've got the same process every time, all we know is that no plan survives first contact with the enemy, right? So, but if we all have, this is the way it works. This is the way we always did that, 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 that when I get that flaming arrow thrown in from the side, then 90% of this, I can keep moving, right? And now I just have to focus on making this one adjustment as opposed to I got no plan, no process, whatever. Then when the flaming arrow comes in, the whole thing explodes, right? And I've got to start. And so uh, that's another one of my big irritants is, oh, you're just adding process and slowing it down. That's an argument for why you shouldn't do agile, as a matter of fact. Uh, well, that's, a, that's a bunch of process, right? Well, uh, there's, there's a lot of evidence for people who actually figure out how to do this um, that it works. And I'm not getting into a big agile discussion, but I, I forget, I read two or three books on this and that's how I said we should be doing this. But an interesting thing was kind of what you're saying, Brian, the idea of prerequisites is, I, I don't remember which of the books it was I read, but I read two or three of them, but it had several case studies and almost every case study that company had to take six months, roughly, to tear down their dev, you know, to set up so they could really do agile right. So that you had a dev environment that represented the real environment so that you had the right um, interdisciplinary uh, team set up, you know, that, and, and a lot of times people who jump into agile, they fail because they don't put the structure in place to be able to, to execute it, you know? And the same thing would happen in the fighter pilot business. I mean, if, if you hadn't already built that, you know, you give the people this much time to plan, this much time to brief, this much time, you know, all that kind of stuff, you can't expect to be able to execute it if the structure isn't there. Yeah, one of my favorite leadership books is called A Seat at the Table. And it is uh, really, it takes agile principles and it applies it 
to leadership that can extend beyond just doing DevOps. Um, yep. So I, you know, and and that, you know, Nick knows this well. I mean, he and I have both shared background with the Agile process. And we, you know, I, I think it really resonates with us that there there is an iterative approach that also has uh, that planning framework and, you know, that, uh, um, uh, you know, kind of that debrief component to it, right? Uh, that That always helps keep the continuity of that information flowing even if you're not building something technical, right? Yeah. And, it, and and there's always those areas for improvement as long as that communication is really surfaced in, in a very structured way and done meaningfully and honestly. Yeah, 100%. Because, um, uh, in fact, I, I couldn't get PBED to take off, but I could get Agile to take off with a couple of our sales leads. And, you know, because I said... You know, we, we're just droning along, you know, and I start working with the sales team, you know, and, you know, sometimes you get the deal, sometimes you get the deal, sometimes you make that, you know, sometimes, but there was, there's just no, no cadence to it. And so, um, you know, a couple of these, these people really tried to implement that, right? That we're going to sit down and what do we want to do in the next two weeks? You know, what calls are we going to make that, how are we going to decide we're successful, right? Because kind of like you guys talked about in the podcast, if you wait till the end of the quarter, right? Oh shit, we didn't make it, right? Then well, we had no chance to alter. We don't know. You know, I don't have those intermediate milestones to check progress, you know, to do all that kind of stuff. But it, it was just pushing a rope because you can't even get people to enter stuff in Salesforce, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So I, I'm just a firm believer that this agile process applies, like you said, well outside of, of software development. And it really is, I think, very analogous to, to what I've described as PBED. I, I like the term PBED. It, it's easier for me to digest, right? If I'm talking to somebody who, without a technical background or agile background or Scrum, because it's just like, okay, you just you just go through these steps and you can apply it to anything you do. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. I don't know. I, I think it could, you know, take its own its own course. You, sh- you should write a book on that. That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, uh, and and just <laughs> start with the podcast. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm too lazy to write a book or do a podcast. But the uh, uh, but if you go out there and Google it, there's some fighter pilots that are that are um, you know uh, I don't know how successful they've been, but business consulting kind of things, you know, with this process. And there's uh, you know a speaking group. That, that, there's a number of of people who are capitalizing on their the the good things they learned about being a fighter pilot and trying to help people apply that to the business world. You know, what I've learned is. Um, it's hard to go, you know, uh, get this Navy SEAL to talk to us, get this fighter pilot to talk to us, yeah, da, da, da. you know, for that to carry over much more than the, the one hour or the day long seminar, you know, is, is still, you know, is still really tough. Um, but the principles are, are 100% valid. It really takes people living in the organization every day. And it's a culture change, right? And if, if the CEO, if the senior person in the company isn't, driving that culture change. It's like, is cybersecurity a priority for your company? Yes, it is. And the CIO is taking care of it. Well, no, that ain't going to work, right? If it's not <laughs> a strategically important to the CEO, then you're not going to change the culture of the company about cybersecurity or disciplined execution. And it goes back to the basics of, of, of quarterly goals. And, um, you know, are you really going to hold yourselves as a company accountable to those goals? And when you establish them, you know, like uh, we brought OKRs, if you're familiar with that process, uh, objectives and key results into our company. And we've been working at it for three years. We use it for the individual employee assessments, you know, as well as the company goals. Um, but it, it's hard. It takes time to, to change the culture of the company to really effective use a goal setting process that, that, works, you know, for all the things it needs to work for, which includes the whole PBAD thing, right? I got to plan this quarter. I got to decide what we're going to do. We're going to sit down. We're going to do it. And then I can't wait till, you know, day 89 of the quarter to say we're behind. I mean, I should be having milestones that can check on progress and adjust resources, et cetera, et cetera. And the discipline of doing that because, well, we don't have time to do that. It's a process. (laughs) Well, we got to the end of quarter. We didn't make our revenue. Well, why not? Well, I don't know. You didn't work hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) That that seems to always be the excuse for everything, right? We don't have time. At least that's yeah. that's what I find, yeah. and that's that's just a, a cop out, in my opinion. Well, right. You, you got time. You is, just it's just not important to you, right? Yeah. The right. funny thing is, people, you know, we're, we're talking about the change management component, and that behavioral change is often the most difficult thing. Uh, and you know, people will still find time to waste 
the efficiency that they could have gained <laughs> yeah. adapting to the yeah. new process, right? But it, somehow there's there's this there's this way that we can justify those things in our minds that says, well, you know, but no, that's change is difficult, and doing it this way is easy because I I can go faster because I can I can understand, and it's like it's it's just not sustainable, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, so yeah. So these, like I said, there's people that consult and people do this and all that, but I'm just, um, I'm just convinced you've got to have the right champions in your organization and, and they've got to be, uh, I think we may have talked about this last time, the three different kinds of power, legitimate power, expert power, referent power, that no matter what kind of leader you are, you've got some element of those. And, and, you know, if all you have is legitimate power, right, where you are on the wiring diagram and you have no referent power where people are just going to follow you because they trust you or you have no expert power because you really know the business or that, you know, <clears throat> the legitimate power, though, is a requirement to be able to affect some of this, this change, right? Because um, I used to call it leadership stamina. When I got to that wing at Kadena, I wanted to change. Um, and this has played itself out 100% um, at with our company where we've had to work through this, is there were five, uh, they call them groups. You got the wing commander and then you got five colonels that run groups. So one was the operations groups, all the people that fly the airplanes, the maintenance group, they maintain the airplanes. You got the civil engineering group, 1,500 civil engineers. You got the medical group, that hospital. And then you got the, the they call it mission support. So that's Japanese civilian personnel, that's security forces, dining halls, all that kind of stuff, right? And when I got in there at each meeting, each of those groups would individually report uh, against their goals, you know, how they're doing. I said, well, this doesn't do me any good, right? Because each one of you, could be commendable in your individuals in your individual cylinder of excellence yet we don't achieve the company goals right so or the organizational goals right which is deter china be ready to be a power projection platform all that so i sat him down for 2 days with a facilitator and said we're going to come up with what the wing goals are and then i had a champion where maybe the operations group commander was the champion and the deputy was the mission support group commander because these things were very cross-cutting and when they had to really work together to report progress and they see that oh how i look is going to be dependent on how well i work with this other group it changes the dynamic so now move into a company a software company you got product, right? That's building the product. You got marketing that's trying to give brand awareness and you got sales, right? And they all have their metrics, right? Did I deliver on the roadmap on time? How many web clicks did I get? And how many meetings did I do, right? And all of them could be bang, bang, bang. And then, well, the revenue missed by 40%, right? And because we are not effectively understanding how this ties together. So I'm hearing you say organizational goals are important. Yes. And, and people have to be invested and the leaders. Gotta yeah. Hold, yeah. I can't sit there and go, well, we would have been successful, except Nick's group sucks. You know, I, that, that yeah, doesn't it does. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a reason he's in the janitor's closet. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Brett, I, I know you said that there are a couple of other topics that you wanted to kind of reserve some some time for. Shall we shift gears and, and get into a couple of those? Yeah. Just based on what I know you guys talk about, um, I, I wanted to share just a couple of thoughts and, and get your reaction. Because uh, um, the woman that does uh, all of our training, she's also a professor at, uh, at George Washington University. And she asked me to talk, she teaches, she's got a PhD in leadership, she teaches um, uh, graduate level leadership course there. And she asked me to come in and give a presentation what I hadn't done before, which is on, uh, was not about what is a leader, but how do you develop leaders? So on, on leader development. And so um, it made me think a little bit about um, some of my experience and uh, it, it kind of helped me define a, a little better, I think at least clear in my mind, um, a, a little bit about how I describe what leaders are, right? Because everybody's got their own definition of leadership, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I ended up breaking it down into these two categories of 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 what leaders do and what leaders are, okay? Because if you're gonna do leader development, you have to have defined what a leader looks like, right? So <clears throat> what leaders do, and I think we talked about this time is, is you know, they provide 
vision, right? This, this is where we're going. And they provide a vision that you can buy into, right? That you want to be part of this organization because you buy into the into the vision. You know, we get the whole argument about uh, what's the role of compensation versus how do you buy into the vision? But anyway, the vision. And then they provide the motivation, right? And again, the motivation is just not comp. I would argue the motivation is uh, no matter how junior you are in the organization, can I help you connect the dots from what you do every day to the success of the organization, right? And that I am motivating you by things that I know are important to you, right? And, you know, for Brian, it may be, you know, work-life balance, whatever that's called, that's more important to me, uh, you know, than maybe necessarily getting, you know, promoted to the next level as fast. You know, Nick, on the other hand, he may go, look, man, I am on a rocket ship, you know, as I want to learn everything. I, I'm going to spend, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I've got to know what motivates you guys. And it may be, you know, maybe slightly different. Right. Um, and then resources. Right. And it's not just money. It's time, people and money. Those are the three resources that we don't have enough of. And so, so as the leader, you know, I've got to provide the vision. I've got to provide the motivation. I've got to make sure both you guys have the resources uh, to do your job. Okay. And then, um, and that's where you get to the, you know, lead people versus manage resources, right? You know, to me, that's leadership. You can find a lot of managers um, that can, can manage the resources that I've given you, but the people that can motivate, you know, et cetera, is, is different, I think. And then what do leaders do? And, you know, influence is a pretty common one. And as a leader, I can influence regardless of where I am on the organizational chart. But uh, I have to have um, to do certain things. I do have to be in a certain place on the organizational chart because I control the resources, right? A lot of times, uh, which goes to the argument of, I saw it with software developers. I saw it with fighter pilots. I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to be a squatter. I don't want to be a so you just want to bitch about how we run the place, but you don't want to have any responsibility for how we run it. Is that what it is? Right. So, you know, so if you're going to affect things, you got to be up there. So but anyway, influence is what leaders do. Right. They get people to do things that are good for the organization, good for the team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're self-aware, right? They know what their limitations are. They know where they're strong. They know where they're not as strong, et cetera, et cetera. And then humility. And just because you're self-aware doesn't mean that you're humble, right? I can be self-aware and know that I've got these gaps, but I'm not willing to go fix them, right? Because I don't want to, I don't want to admit the fact that I'm, I'm not a good communicator or I don't have that much technical depth in this area, you know, whatever the case may be. And so that, that issue of, of humility coupled with self-awareness is what helps you grow as a leader. Because if you are not self-aware to know where your gaps are, you aren't humble enough to fix them, then what? You can't influence, right? And so all of those three, I think, have to be have to be tied to uh, have to be tied together. And hold on, give me one second, guys. My uh, headphones just died, so sure. I'm I'm going to change one second because I know how to do this as opposed to uh, Brian. I'm going to change <laughs> how I. God, it's just no slack. It's just, there's just no slack, is there? Uh, no. Okay. Can you guys still hear me? I can yeah. still hear yeah. you. You're good. Yeah. And, and so where all this came together for me was um, I had been about a year or so into overseeing the, um, you know, I moved jobs a couple of times and now I had all the, the product development, I set up the product management function, all this kind of stuff. And I went to a situational leadership course, if you're familiar with situational leadership, mm -hmm. you know, it was a model developed uh, in the early 60s. And, uh, and that really struck me that I had failed uh, my teams quite a bit as a, a as a leader. In fact, I can tell you, uh, uh, at the end of the first day of that course, I called three people specifically and apologized because I said I did not give you the leadership that I should have given you. And what the the situation was was uh, I always uh, prided myself on operating on the the beg forgiveness, don't ask permission, right? If you're working for me, I want to give you the vision. I want to tell you, um, you know, here are the things that need to be done, but I'm not going to tell you, you know, how to do it. You're going to figure that out and you're the best one to do it. And that's the way you're going to enjoy working. Right. Um, but I had gotten, I had been so senior for so long in the air force that the people that were working for me, um, they could operate on that style, that very delegatory leadership style, right? And what I didn't do when I got into this company where I'm now working at a much more tactical level is really understand the fact that I had a variety of uh, followers, let's call them, or team members, some of which needed a very directive style, right? That I need you to do one, two, or three. It's because they're they're unable and unwilling, not in a bad way, but they've just never done this, right? And so they don't know what to do, right? And so I've got to, 
And my job is to get them to move up that, if you're familiar with the situational leadership, to get them to move up that scale of readiness is, you know, is how it's defined from one, two, three, or four. I want to get them to where I can apply a delegatory leadership style, but that isn't going to be overnight. And so that's what kind of led me to the self-aware and humility part of my, my, my thing here is because, uh, you know, at the risk of patting myself on the back, it's strange for fighter pilots to do that, but at the risk of patting myself on the back, you know, I, I was smart enough to come to the conclusion that, hey, I porked this away, right? And I need to fix it. And what do you do when you pork something away, right? The only thing I can do is say, Nick, I'm sorry. Brian, I'm sorry. I screwed this up, you know, and I'm, I'm going to do better. And so, um, so I just wanted to share that for people who, um, you know, may think that they've got everything figured out about leadership or, you know, have forgotten that uh, no matter, you know, how much leadership experience you have, that uh, there are things you can learn uh, and that if you don't seek those things out, um, then you're going to stagnate and your team's going to suffer. But anyway, that's, that's the conclusion I came from. And, um, you know, if an old crusty fighter pilot can figure out that he's, he's really porked it away on something he thinks he knows, he thinks he's very good at, um, then I think that, uh, that everybody can probably take a second look at themselves. So. Well, I was going to make the comment since you already, you know, had the self-effacing comment yourself that you're, you're too lazy to write a book. I think you just gave me and Nick a great framework to do so based on you know, how, how perfect the structure was, I think, and, and how you kind of formulated, you know, the, uh, the definition of leadership. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I enjoy talking about this stuff and, uh, you know, I appreciate the work you guys do. So. Oh, well, thank, thank you for being on. If, if anyone's looking to get a hold of you, um, connect with you or anything, follow you, where, where's the best way to do that? You know, back when we talked last time, I was trying to do Facebook and Instagram and all that crap, and I don't do anything anymore. So uh, I am on, on LinkedIn, but, um, you know, uh, when I think I have something to say, uh, then I'll, I'll post something. More often than not, it's about the business or it's about, um, uh, you know, like I, I think a recent one that got a lot of views was, uh, you know, I do go out to Duke from time to time, and I was out uh, uh, talking to, um, they, they started a master's in cybersecurity at the Pratt School of Engineering. So I love going back and, and working with, um, you know, Duke students, Air Force, ROTC, cadet, you know, all, all of that, you know, you just draw so much energy from that. So, but the bottom line is, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, LinkedIn and, um, you know, send me a, whatever they call it, a, a connection request, et cetera, uh, then uh, I'm happy to connect with you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. We'll be sure to link all that stuff in the show notes and with that, thanks for joining us, Brett. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. It was good to see you again. Thanks, Brett. It's Thank a real you. honor and pleasure to have you on the show again. All right. Thanks for having I'm going to have to connect with you about getting uh, one of those IronNet shirts. I'm going to have to buy one of those from you. <laughs> so yeah. I think there that's you. pretty slick. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'd rather sell you some software, but uh, I'll, we'll start with the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> baby steps, baby steps, right? <laughs> There. Absolutely. <laughs> all right brett thanks very much appreciate right. it and uh enjoy the rest of your your friday and your weekend all right happy thanksgiving you guys all right thanks, same brett. to you happy thanksgiving all right yep. see you later later Bye.